I'm turning this evening to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 and verse 4, a chapter that we were considering this morning in the morning service, and I've come back to it this evening, particularly to look at some words from this fourth verse. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Well, our subject will be knowing the love of Christ. It's a passage about love which should exist between people. Love particularly which should be between uh, Christian people, people who've sought and found Christ, people who are brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. It's about a love which should uh, rule all human relationships, especially marriage, love between husbands and wives, family love. It is about love. Our King James translators translated charity because here it refers to giving love, outflowing love. It refers also to love which is free in the sense of being unfettered and free in that it makes no charge and it expects nothing in return. The uh, great thinker of past decades, C.S. Lewis, uh, called it unconditional love. But he was only half right because it isn't really unconditional love. The love of God, and it reflects his love, is not unconditional. You could call it unconditional in the sense that it doesn't require conditions from us. We can do nothing to deserve it or earn it. It's a free, one-way traffic of love from God to those who trust in him and reverence him. But it's not unconditional. The wonderful thing about it is that the conditions that are very stringent are met by someone else. The condition for God's love is perfection. Holiness, perfection, complete conformity with his holy will and obedience to him, absolute sinlessness. That's the condition. Because God is holy and pure and we can never meet those conditions, never even begin to meet them. And Christ, the second person of the Godhead taught in the scripture, has come into this world to meet the conditions for us. He has come into this world in order to live a life of such perfection under tremendous provocation and humiliation and unbelief and rejection, so as to discern heaven for all his people. 
and he's come for that astonishing act. His suffering and death on Calvary's cross, where God the Father poured out upon him the eternal punishment of all those who would ever be forgiven by trusting in Christ. And he paid for our sin instead of us. He met the condition. And so the love of God and the love of Christ can flow to those who trust in him. And that is amazing and marvelous and wonderful. It is to us free to him. It was staggeringly expensive. It is to us entirely gracious and undeserved. But to him, the cost was beyond human comprehension. That's the message of the Bible. That's why we need him and trust in him. But the big tragedy is to go through life without his love and to end life without his love. Not interested in it. I've never sought it. I don't want it. I won't have it. And then we have to face the judgment and the consequences of life without God ourselves. And that's the most terrible thing. One of the reasons death is so feared in the human race is because inwardly we somehow know what it involves. It's not just termination. It's not just the end. It's the day of account. It's judgment. It's standing before God. It's everlasting rejection and punishment. The love of Christ has enabled us to avoid all that and to know him and to walk with him. And that's what I'd like to talk about just briefly this evening. Charity or love in verse 4 suffereth long. Oh, dear friends, does the love of Christ mean nothing to you? It meant nothing to me when I was a youngster. It meant absolutely nothing. No interest whatsoever. Rejected that kind of talk altogether. But to know the love of God. Here is just some of the features of it. To walk with Christ. To be converted to him. To find him. Love suffereth Long, Oh, it does, friends. There is human love. There is marital love. And I'm not just talking about sexual love or biological love. But there is real deep affection possible between human beings. A tremendous and special appreciation one for another, and intense affection. It's possible. And let's hope it's more common than it seems to be. And particularly among those who love God and that they love each other 
And there's a tremendous bond between husbands and wives. But at its best, it fluctuates. We're so fallible. And we're so tarnished as people. Even when we seek to please God and walk with him, we're so tarnished. And our love fluctuates. And sometimes we really appreciate each other. And then other times we can be distant and cold and even aggravated by each other. And worse, the love of Christ, the love of God alone is constant, unvarying, unfading, never diminishing, always fully for his people and for his subjects. It will never change. It will never be withdrawn from those who have found him and who walk with him. The love of Christ for his people. I'd like to just pick up some of these words. Love suffereth long. Don't you see that in Christ? When he came from heaven to earth and was born as a babe and assumed human body, he was never, never ceased to be God. He was God all the time. He was divine. He had divine power and holiness. But he also had with it a human nature once he came to earth. He had to take our place. He had to be like us. He had to be clothed with our weaknesses. Not our sins, but our weaknesses. So that he could prove a life of perfection without sin. And nobody could say, yes, but he was God. He wasn't a real human being. He didn't have our limitations our capacity for exhaustion, and so on. He didn't have any of these things. But he did, because he assumed human flesh, and he saw everything through human eyes while he was on earth. And yet he lived an unblemished and a perfect life. And his disciples testified to that repeatedly in the Gospels. He was their Lord and their God. Love suffereth long, but what did he come to? He came to rejection. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the clergy of the day, they didn't want him. They didn't want their little circle of authority disturbed and their lifestyles. They were not God-fearing men in reality while Christ was on earth and they were set against him and he'd hardly started his earthly ministry and they were seeking ways and opportunities to have him executed and disappear and it was constantly there and it was only because of his divine power that he could walk through the middle of crowds and avoid all efforts to arrest him and take him until the time came when he would voluntarily allow himself to be taken and nailed to a cross. But oh, 
love suffereth long. See it from Christ's point of view. He came into this world. I am going to save thousands of people. I am going to die for them. I am going to bear and taste every ounce of punishment due to them for their sin, the people who will trust in me. I'm going to bear their sin away so that I can forgive them and by my mighty power can bring them to life spiritually and give them understanding minds and give them communion with their God and bless them and train them and walk with them and hear and answer their prayers. This is what I'm going for. I'm going into this world. I know what will happen. I know I will be rejected. I know I will be treated with great cruelty and especially at the end of my time on earth and crucified on a cross and scorned and spat upon. And yet he came in the face of that knowledge. Do you know just before Christ went to Calvary's cross, where God struck him with the punishment of our sin invisibly, terribly. Do you know what had happened just beforehand? He had gone overnight into the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And there there came over him, given to him from the Father on high, there came over him a full sense and realization and feeling of all that he was about to go through. Almost as though he pre-suffered it in advance in some measure. He could see the terrible separation from the father he would suffer. He could sense and feel the weight and the burden of sin and its punishment. And that terrible scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where he suffered in advance and yet at the end of it all he said in prayer to the Father, Thy will, not mine. I've come to save these people. I must go through with this. I must suffer the most terrible experience ever conceivable we have it in this verse love suffereth long how long he suffered and six terrible hours on Calvary's cross three of them under total darkness he suffered his suffering for us knew no limit love suffereth long and is kind. The Greek verb says love is useful, kind. This was productive suffering. This was to achieve something. This was to produce something. If you know the love of Christ, if you come to him and repent of your sin, and trust in him as the saviour of the world, and hand over your life to him, then you know his kindness. Not just his 
feelings towards you, but his actions towards you. You feel and you know and you experience his mighty kindness. Let me put it into words for you. You are made new. You are changed. The Apostle Paul calls conversion a new creation. You're made all over again. Your body is left intact. Many of your gifts and powers are left intact. Your personality is left largely intact. But your character and your thinking, or let's put it biblically, your heart, mind, and will are radically changed. Your heart is changed. Your capacity to feel and your affections. You can now appreciate spiritual things. Your mind is changed. Your understanding is emancipated. You can understand these things of God and what God has done to save souls. You can understand his word in very large measure. And your will, instead of being all for me and all for sin and all for pleasures away from God and all for selfish ambitions and all for pride, your will is changed and you want to serve him and live for him and walk with him and know him. What a change. And your spirit is brought to life. And you can pray. And as you pray, you have something you never had before. You were conversion, converted. You have a deep sense that God is listening to you. And that you are connected and in touch. And you pray to him from your heart with earnestness and feeling. And you trust him. And he blesses your life and hears your prayers in so many ways. And he helps you and shapes you. He changes you so that now you can withstand the constant temptation to sin. You're a new person, a stronger person, a humbler person, a more generous person, a more sensitive person. A more feelingful person. You're altogether different. Love suffereth long and is kind. What kindness is this to change a human heart, a selfish, self seeking heart, a shallow heart, an earth bound heart, sees no higher than the earth to change us and set us free and make us his children. Love is kind to give us a lively conscience so that we now know right from wrong and to give us assurance of our salvation so that in a wonderful way we know that God has forgiven us and that we now belong to him. So these words certainly apply to Christ. Love 
suffereth long and is kind. And along the pathway of life, whenever you call upon him, you may have strength and guidance and comfort for the journey. And now you've got a destination, a certain destination at the end of the journey. You know that the moment you draw your last breath, your soul will be carried away into eternal glory to be with Christ. And all those who love him, who have gone before you, the great meeting in the reception hall, if you like, of the King of Kings. These things are absolute kindness. I never deserved them. I never earned them. I didn't do anything to merit them. They come to me freely because I trust in Christ who has deserved them for me and purchased them for me. And you think the scripture tells us this, that when Christ died on Calvary, he could see in his mind every single one of the millions of people throughout the history of time for whom he died and who would trust in him, would be brought to love him and to find him. And he knew each one, even centuries before we were born. The love of Christ is so great, dear friends. I read, just before we come to conclusion, a few of these things which hardly apply, but they're valuable. Love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Why, that reminds us that even with the best human love, things will go wrong. There'll be sometimes unworthy behavior, either on your part or on the part of the other one. And so love will be, receive a knock and will be momentarily fractured. And as I said before, it will ebb and flow. And if you love someone, well, sometimes they want, may want their way. And sometimes you'll have to please them. Of course you will. And that's right on earth. If two people are married or they're very close friends, it's give and take. It's his pleasure today or her pleasure today and mine tomorrow. You share and share alike. And you have to be careful because you may offend the one who loves you by depriving him or her of some understanding, something which is due. But with Christ, it's so different. He will never envy you. He will never vaunt himself at your expense. He will never say, now it's my turn. Enough of you. No, it is altogether love. He is your saviour. He is your Lord, he's your provider, he, he loves you and he will lavish upon you his affection and his care. He will sometimes be firm with you, he will train you. If you persistently go wrong and you sin, 
He may, in a perfect way, discipline you or pull you up or stop your blessing. It's in your interests. He will trouble your conscience. He will train you. He will always be honest with you. But his love is constant and undying. So this never applies to him. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. He's all for you. He's not easily provoked. He's never angry with you, unless he has to be angry with our sin. And so on, you could apply all these things. To have Christ's love is to have his unabating care and affection towards you. His love will never fail. I've said that several times over already. His love never ceases to be exercised towards you. His love is frequently expressed in special ways. Just like a, a mother may take an infant up in her arms on impulse to lavish a few moments special affection or special attention. When you walk with Christ, there are times when he makes himself so close to you and so real to you, not only in troubles and difficulties, and you have powerful assurance that you are his and he is yours. Oh, dear friends, he'll give you so much blessing and help through life. What a tragedy not to have him, not to walk with him. Without Christ's love, you will be increasingly dependent upon the passing shallow pleasures of this life including sinful pleasures. You will depend upon them. It's all you've got. You need a lift, you say. It's like a drug. You need the fleeting things of this world. They can't hold you up much. They can't give you that much happiness. They can't last very long. It comes, as I say, in spasms. And the more you go on without the love of God in your life, the more dependent you are upon the shallow and the earthly and the worthless. And the more you go on without the love of Christ, the harder it is to believe in him and trust in him. You become more earthly, more cynical, more against him. How much we need the love of Christ. How much we need it, dear friends, soon. How much we need his kindness transforming us. I must come to conclusion. There's a marvellous growing up illustration here. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I'm sure everybody in this church, except a handful of youngsters, have done this. 
you've put away most, if not all, childish things. But have you ever thought of this? If you've never found the love of Christ, you are still like a child. You are entirely ignorant of spiritual things. You have no experience of God and his power and his goodness in your life. You have no inkling of how these things work and how you may find him and know him. You have no desire. In a sense, you're like that child who's never grown up. You've never migrated from being a 100% worldling to being a child of God and knowing Christ and knowing and tasting his power and his love, you're stuck. You can't live like that, friends. And you mustn't die like that. You must come to him and find his love and his mighty power. There is no love so powerful. There is no love so free as Christ's. There is no love so enduring. It will be yours forever once you come to him. Come as a sinner. Repent of your sin. Come in faith, believing in Christ. He's the only way. He alone has died for your sin if you trust in him. He alone has the power to change you. Come to him sincerely. The old preachers used to say, do you know where you must meet him? You must meet him at Calvary's cross. You must see it in your mind. There's Christ dying on Calvary. Don't try and picture it, but just vaguely. That's where I must kneel. That's where I must fall before him. Trust in his suffering and death for sinners. Lord, save me. Forgive me. Change me. Bring me to know thy great and everlasting love and eternal life. That's how you come to him. Don't say to me, friend, oh, but I have tried to come to him. Yes, but if you came to him sincerely, meaning it with all your heart, Lord, forgive my terrible sins and all that I am and all that I've done. And Lord, I trust only in thee, the only way to be forgiven. And Lord, I give my life. His promises, he will hear you from on high. And he will answer your prayer and make you his child and change your life. You must come to him, dear friends. The Lord of love. That's your greatest need, the love of Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, look upon us. If we have been hard, unmoved, 
unaffected by these things up till now in our lives. Melt our hearts, we ask, and bring us to feel so greatly our need of the love of Christ and enable us to trust him utterly and to repent before him and to come. Oh, Lord, deal with us all and help us even this night. We ask it in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen.